It's Pi Augustine, your Division One candidate for Ipswich. My plan is for a community that is vibrant and attracts world investment, a community that is connected with the state-of-the-art transport system, a community that cares for our people and environment at a time of need. Division One needs a councillor that has the energy and motivation to get things done. A community champion. Find out more about me on my Facebook page, Pi Augustine for Division One. This ad was approved by Pi Augustine candidate. Ipswich deserves strong and stable leadership you know you can trust. I'm Mayor Teresa Harding, and as your Mayor, Ipswich is once again a city that businesses are proud to invest in and families love to call home. To keep our city moving forward, I'm committed to reducing cost of living pressures, expanding our road and transport networks, delivering more for our suburbs, and boosting investment in grassroots sports in our community. So vote one Teresa Harding for Mayor for sustainable growth for Ipswich. Authorised by T Harding, 264 South Station Road, Raceview. Ipswich Election Watch 2020 with Alan Roebuck. This podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Episode 2 on Close of Nominations Day and what a day, with the main headline being former Division 2 councillor attempts to rise from the ashes of being sacked and run again. Will this Phoenix-like attempt be successful? Ipswich Election Watch offers this opinion. With the election less than four weeks away, the electorate is still to fully engage with the fact they'll be voting for a mayor and two councillors each division on March 28. The profile generally of all candidates is still low. It is why familiar names on the ballot paper will undoubtedly have an advantage. I say this despite former councillors being sacked and names being dragged through the mud. And what about the alleged missing millions from Ipswich City Properties? The fact is multiple audits, including by the Queensland Audit Office and other reports, do not reveal anything missing. What they do reveal is a not insignificant trading loss on the former council-owned Ipswich City Properties. There are relatively few people who understand this crucial detail. It's a moot point that former councillors, as directors of ICP, were possibly not the ideal choice to run a multi-million dollar property portfolio. It is also fact that under two interim administrators, things are finally happening in the CBD. Major hurdles have been cleared and it's all systems go on the construction front. It has filled the city with some hope that the worst of the saga, which began with the building of the Icon Tower over 10 years ago, is behind us. There are several other council-owned CBD properties being redeveloped, which council should ultimately sell, and hopefully recoup some, maybe all, of that 78 million loss. How much will the CBD redevelopment influence voters on election day? We'll find out on the evening of March 28. My first guest today is local CBD business owner Steve Mallett. I started by asking Steve what he was hearing on the street from the public about the election. I think for the first time in many years, it's very, um, very uh, important for everyone to... Uh pay a lot of attention. Like they all want to uh, be involved, I think. There's a lot of uh, inquiries uh, at the coffee shop talks and, and all the uh, uh, basically customers coming into our stores. We talk a lot about what they think they need to have changed and who they think can come in and uh, do the right job. But uh, like previous years, I think a lot of people were up in the air about who they should vote for and didn't really care. But uh, we are noticing a lot more um, uh, people really getting involved and wanting to have a bit of a say in who this whole new council should be and 
Uh, I think they're all ready for a fresh start. Well, on that note, do you think voters are getting enough information to make an informed decision? Not yet. I, I think we will start seeing some. Like uh, a lot of the uh, candidates have sort of kept their cards very close to their chests, I think, for the last four or five weeks. But I think we need to have a lot more a lot more said. But the, the forums we've got out there now, which are, are really good, we've never done before. In the local community um, areas, you have uh, uh, nights with with the uh, candidates and the uh, City Council has a lot more on their website. Um, I think uh, I think we're definitely doing a lot more in those areas than we've ever done with an election before, which is a good thing. And I'd be happy to add the Queensland Times to the, <coughs> to the top of that list, Steve. I think uh, Editor Shannon Newley is, is right on top of it, and uh, and those forums will either be well attended or well watched online. Yes, yeah, so a great uh, a great list out today, and today's QT actually um, with a number of the candidates doing interviews, and um, I think I think we definitely need more of that every day, and uh, right through to the election, and and everybody getting a better idea on what each individual stands for, and making sure they choose the best of the city. And what are the local issues that people are talking about up to now? Oh, a lot of things have been left on the shelf for the last 20 years, really, is, uh, you know, everyone wants to see a vibrant CBD. They really do. They, they want to see it, and they, it's been promised for 20 years, and we still have never delivered. And uh, to make that happen, some of the big areas are the infrastructure, transport infrastructure, public transport into our city and out of our city to all areas, um, Basically, roads. Big, biggest issue really is roads. In my mind, personally, I think uh, I don't think our CBD streets or our inroads are going to be able to stand up to the population growth we've got. Um, just minor things like the second bridge. You know, it's been going for thirty years, still haven't got one. Um, it, it's at a point where we our infrastructure can't cope. So I think. Um, that, those areas are, are big, big issues people are talking about. Uh, this, the development of the mall is uh, very positive. It's been positive for the last two years while uh, Greg and his team have put it all together. I think um, the small opening we've got, the stage, the first stage, is uh, was shown last uh, Saturday night with the food vans. Uh, it was a very positive with numbers, and we just need to keep going forward and keep making that happen for the next uh, 10 years, forever, and then get uh, to get proper you know, professional businesses in that mall, running out of the offices, uh, putting feet on the ground and um, supporting the local businesses that run in our CBD to bring more business. And uh, that will flow to the outskirts of our city and through all the way down to Springfield, uh, from, from Marburg from, to uh, Ripley. Steve, you've focused in heavily there on the CBD and it is very important to get that city heart beating again. But looking at the at the at the wider issues out there, right across the city, are there are there any other that come to mind? Local local community support has always been a big positive pitch. Which we, we are a very loyal city. We are very um, very strong in that area. So I, I, I think our community support has to come within ourselves. Uh, a lot of the local businesses that that area is something we always need, and so I think it's something we're very strong at producing ourselves. So we don't really need the council to do it, but we just need to make sure the new council supports it. Uh, make sure the new council unite as one. And finally, how do you read the priorities of a new council? So if you were amongst that first group to sit down and have their first full council meeting, what do you think should be on the agenda? Probably the first thing I think they need to do is uh, sit down and work out 
how they can all bring their detailed needs for their divisions to the table and how they can all settle on an outcome of prioritisation. So put a master plan in place of all these activities that need to be achieved, prioritise the most important down to the least important and leave that meeting as a unity of one and basically achieve each goal and then move on to the next because I just think we have uh, always had too many things in there that need to be done and nothing ever, ever, all we did was debate. We we don't need debate. We don't need uh, coloured hats uh, saying which they think is more important. We need eight people shared with the mayor and then basically uniting together as one to accomplish results. Uh, And that's going to be, that's what I believe is their priority. They should go in their first meeting and work out how they're going to unite as one and achieve the benefits to fulfil the uh, members of the Ipswich community. Steve Mallett, really appreciate your time and your thoughts on Ipswich Election Watch. Thank you very much. Deciding who to vote for at an election can be a daunting task. Well, my next guest on Ipswich Election Watch should be able to help you decide who to vote for. I'd like you to meet Shane Mallory, who's a professional speaking coach, speaker, and MC. Thanks for joining Ipswich Election Watch, Shane. No, thanks for having me, Alan. It, it's true. We don't get to know candidates personally because it's just not feasible. And we often decide on how they look or how they sound. What do you think candidates need to work on, and probably very quickly, for them to let us see the real them? Well, for me, uh, whenever I uh, go into any type of um, speeching, speech coaching uh, exercise with any of my clients, the first thing that I talk to them about is them and their stories. And I see that everything emanates from story because it's what it's what we live by. It's what you know when when we were kids, and you know, mum and dad were reading us a story. We couldn't wait to for for bedtime so we could hear that story. It's it's how cultures. Um, uh, develop over time like you know our first peoples you know their, their history is story so um, for me when I when I go in and work with people the first thing I talk about is getting clear on what your story is now that can be uh, a little bit of a backstory uh, about you or the story that you see for the future of, of Ipswich um, or the, the story that you see in the next the next 12 months but having that story and having that story set in concrete, if you like, uh, is, in my opinion, one of the surefire ways of making sure that you will draw your audience in, you will get them interested to the uh, the ideas, the concepts, and the policies that you want to get across, um, because we all are suckers for a story. Indeed, we are. Yes. What about leaders? How do, how do you decide who is a good leader just by listening to them speak there's a there's a phrase that i that i go by and this is um uh you know my my history i suppose you know if anyone checked my website out i was a police officer for 26 years and uh, after that i went into it and i've always been in, in leadership positions if you like and uh, a very wise person once said to me to be a leader even if you're the only one in the team that basically means that if you don't have your own stuff together, 
and your own uh, things sorted out, there's no point in trying to try and lead anyone else. So it's about having your priorities in the right place. It's about having, uh, like I said, your, your stories sorted out so that people can see that you are consistent, that you have uh, a strong message and it's a message that people want to follow. Um, uh, leaders who uh, react uh, are not as good as leaders who uh, respond. What are the main pitfalls that, that people, the traps people fall into who are not experienced in public speaking? So one of the first things that people will, traps people will fall into is that they feel as though whenever they get up onto a stage, they have to give everyone their resume. That uh, may be the case in very, very few circumstances, but if you can draw people in with the story that you want to tell them, your resume will come through in that story. And you don't need to tell them that, hi, I'm Shane Mallory. Uh, you know, I've lived in Ipswich for uh, more than 30 years. And da, 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 da. It's, it can be something as simple as, I remember taking, to, taking my kids to school in the early 90s. And straight away, uh, I've told everyone that, or taking my kids to school in Ipswich in the early 90s, I've told everyone that I've, I must have been in Ipswich for a long time if I'm taking my kids to school in Ipswich. When we can not treat our, our audience as mugs and realise that if we put that information into a, into a format that will entice them to listen, then there's a, lot, there's, a, there's a greater chance of them actually going away from uh, the session or the forum that, that they're dealing with having remembered a whole lot more than if they were simply providing them with essentially uh, facts and figures, which is what a resume is. Um, you know, if, if you, you wind things up in, in a story and people remember it. I, I, do, I sometimes do uh, presentations to schools and things like that and um, about, about leadership and, and those sort of things. But it's, uh, when the kids come away from those sort of things, or if, if I'm talking in a, an adult group, they'll remember my stories. So, so long as my message is in the story, uh, my job is done. Often in public speaking, Shane, inexperienced people will draw on cliches. And one of the ones I dislike the most is in this space. Are there any cliches that particularly the candidate should avoid? Oh, look, it, you know, it's, it's that that uh, inappropriate bingo game isn't it that you play when you sit down and try and work out just how many um, uh, cliches people say yeah in this space um, at the end of the day one of the classics that that people will do is they'll get asked asked a question and if they don't want to answer that question they'll say I, I, I can't tell you that but what I can tell you is this um, that's a cliche that I think um, they should probably avoid as well um, so any of those ones, I mean, yeah, as we said, there's, there's a, an absolute plethora of them that, that we could tap into. But um, yeah, my, my pet hate is at the end of the day, that one. Um, well worn out, that one. We're getting to the pointy end of the campaign. It's now going to be... A, <laughs> there we go. There's the a cliche for you. Yes, the pointy <laughs> end. Now, there are a lot of ex uh, candidates are obviously inexperienced, well-meaning, hard in the right place, are there three tips you could give a budding candidate on how to deliver a powerful message and, and make it crisp and so people understand it? All right. Well, how about if I give, I'll, I'll go one, one step better and I'll go give them four. This is a little acronym that, that I teach um, that I call keeping it real. And it's all about uh, our brain chemicals. So the first one is to remember. 
So anything that you do in any talk that you, you give or any um, uh, meeting that you have with people, give them an opportunity to remember. Because when people remember, uh, they release serotonin in their brain. Now, serotonin uh, is a mood-based chemical that will actually lift someone's mood. Um, or it can actually drop someone's mood. But uh, if you uh, enable people to remember times when things were good, that will release serotonin. So get people to remember. The next one is to empathize. So, um, and when you empathize with people, and I'm not talking about sympathizing, I'm talking about empathizing here. When you understand where they're coming from, when you've had an opportunity to, um, and I'm going to use a cliche here, walk okay, a mile in it. someone else's <laughs> shoes, <laughs> um, uh, you get the opportunity to empathize with them. And uh, empathizing releases the brain chemical oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is also known as the love drug or the, the really feel-good drug. So when you empathize with someone, you will, you will connect with them on a level that uh, makes them feel good. So if they're remembering, they're empathizing, um, and um, you, you, you've, got, you've got them working well there. The fourth one is to anticipate. Always make sure that when you're talking with people that you are giving them something that they can anticipate. Because if they can anticipate something, then that's going to release dopamine. The dopamine, again, is that, that chemical um, that, again, makes people feel good. Um, but at the same time, um, when you ever you uh, give an opportunity for someone to anticipate, make sure you follow through. And I use the classic example as you ever uh, ordered something online from eBay or uh, Amazon or something like that, and uh, you, know, you pay for it. And then you get the first email that comes through on your phone and it's, it's uh, you know, your order's being processed. But you get a little hit of dopamine. And then your order is on its way. It's, you know, it's on the plane and you get another little hit of dopamine. And then it's on the truck for delivery today, another little hit of dopamine. But if it doesn't arrive on that day... The world ends. <laughs> exactly. <doesn't> that's right. <laughs> it doesn't arrive. The world ends. So if you're going to uh, allow people to anticipate you need to be able to follow through. And the last one uh, is uh, make sure that you give people the opportunity to have a smile or dare I say it, a little laugh, a little chuckle, because that's the last brain chemical and that is endorphins. Endor the releasing of endorphins, again, makes someone feel good. Now, if you can get that perfect mix together of serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine and endorphins together, meaning to remember, empathize, anticipate, and laugh. You're going to keep it real. There's my acronym. Mm -hmm. And um, you're going to ensure that the people that are going, to go, are going to go away from any interaction that they've had with you, whether it's on mass or one-on-one, -on -one, uh, remembering uh, and, and actually having that stuff solidify in their own minds about what you've been talking about with them. Shane, lastly... And, I, mm. and normally this would be the first question you, you ask when you're talking to somebody about public speaking, but it's one mm. of the greatest fears of humankind, getting up mm. on a stage or in a church hall or a, or mm. a school PNC. Are there any simple tips to overcome that fear? Practice. Simple as that's, that? That's, it's as simple as that. The more you practice that skill, the better you are at it. Um, the more you speak, the more you speak. It, those are the sort of things that, that, that I say. It's... It's, I mean, there, there are a number of things that, you know, I, you know, I, I deal with, with clients and teach them all about pitch and phrasing and, and the pause and silence and all those sort of things. 
but at the end of the day, whoops, there we go. There's another cliche. <laughs> it just slipped um, in, just like that. Just slipped in. There we go. Um, it's uh, it practice. It, it has to be the number one practice to the point where you don't, you don't have to worry. And that's why I go back to the notion of story because you know, your stories, because you know, your background, you don't have to practice as much because you mm. know that content. There's a very famous quote um, by uh, uh, Lawrence Olivier. And he actually says that the performance does not begin until the lines are down. So in other words, you will not be able to make your speech interesting, resounding, enthralling, people leaning in until you know that speech and you know it to the point that you can perform it. And what about notes, Shane? Some people can work from notes, others need word for word. Is there a, a golden rule there? Another cliche? Uh, I, again, I, I like to get people to a point where, they're, where they don't have to rely on notes, uh, whether that be a completely written out verbatim uh, speech or, or even, um, you know, uh, dot points. If, um, if there's a, a uh, way of looking at it, you could have a, a story, a point, and then a transition. So this is my story. I tell that story because it's a great example of X, which means that we must do Y. That's, and if you could, you could follow that same little rule all the way through, tell a story, make a point, transition to your next story point and transition. You, you've got it, you've got it all, all tied up in there. Notes, as I said, I try and, if, if you really want to be a good orator, uh, a good speech maker, you need to not be concerned about your notes. Um, if you're going to make notes, I would be probably putting down no more. And uh, for example, if you're giving, say, a 10-minute speech or something like that, no more than two to three points max that you can talk on. Shane Mallory? I really appreciate your time on Ipswich Election Watch. I think there's some great tips there, not just for candidates, but for anybody having a listen. And of course, you are Ipswich's own, Shane Mallory. I am a local. Yes, I live in Brussels. So um, yeah, if, uh, if anybody's interested or they need, need, a, need a hand, uh, certainly um, yeah, give me a yell and I'll be more than happy to help them out. Thanks again. Now it's time to hear from a long-term resident of the city. Aileen Grading lives in Tivoli, which is in the new Division 4. Mrs Grading is not shy about sharing her thoughts about council, past councillors and the upcoming election. As a regular parishioner of St Mary's, I began asking had there been much talk about the election and what people are saying. Oh, yes, they were talking about it. Um, one, you know, we just feel like we've been terribly let down in the past and we're hoping for better with the new council. Does anybody have any preference for candidates and mayors at this point or is it still wide open? Uh, I haven't heard anybody say they're interested in any of the candidates for mayor because I don't think any of them have got the necessary qualifications and a lot of people feel like that. What about local councillors? I understand you're in Division 4. I'm in Division 4. I've spoken to one uh, who, Kate Cunzelman, who's running, and she came to my house and had a cup of tea and she wrote down all my concerns. Um, the others, uh, one, Russell Milligan, 
you can't get in touch with, I can't get in touch with him because I'm not online and he only has a uh, email address and the other two, well, I know one guy, but, um, and then there's another one, I think, and I don't even know his name. Well, what are the local issues for you, Aileen? Oh, the issues for Tivoli is we're a forgotten suburb. Our roads are atrocious. I'm five minutes from the CBD. I don't have curbing and channelling. And not many streets in Tivoli have the appropriate cement, you know, concrete curbing and channelling. Some of them have the bitumen. But, you know, it's almost like we don't exist. And we're five minutes from the CBD. I've paid so much rates over the years for nothing. So it's those grassroots issues that that are going to decide or help decide your vote. Oh, infrastructure. That's what I'm after. What sort of infrastructure? Decent decent roads, curving and channelling. We need another bridge over the river because it sometimes takes three change of lights just to get into Brisbane Street. All of that has just been forgotten. We've just sailed along. We've we've allowed people to build all these houses all around the place, but they haven't addressed the infrastructure. And what are you hearing from your friends at church? What what are their issues? Uh, well, not so much at church, but my friends that I you know I have quite a few friends, and most of them are saying that the. We're not getting money spent here. It's all being spent down at Springfield. I've had to grow the grass out to the bitumen because I'm on the side of a hill and it washes out. To stop washouts and making the, my street dangerous, mm-hmm. I've had to grow the grass out to the gutter and I've got a half-acre lot. Both I've two houses here, but both half-acre lots. And we've got big footpaths and I had to mow that until recently because I, I have to pay someone to do it now, but the council has never, in my 59 years of living in my house, made my footpath. And what's been the response in the past, Aileen, when you've contacted uh, previous councillors or council officers? Well, one uh, laughed in my face when I asked her for curving and channelling. The last one I had was Wayne Went, I think, and I asked him, but I got nothing. It is an issue across the city, the older suburbs, uh, you know, even the acreage lots at Caroline. You know, I, I waited 43 years for sewage. And the only reason I got sewage now is because the government passed a law that you can't have septic on anything under two and a half acres. Aileen, if I can just uh, ask you one more question. Mm-hmm. Looking outside your suburb, and, and you've made a passionate plea there for incoming councillors to look at infrastructure, what are some of the like bigger city-wide issues that uh, you've been thinking about or discussing with friends? Uh, well, the parking in this, in this city is pretty bad. You go up to the park, there's cars parked all around there. You couldn't, you couldn't go to the park for the day and get a car park. And all the streets where it's not um, metered, there's cars everywhere. You know, we need more car parks for people to park in. Well, I, for one, can't walk too far now. So, um, you know, I like to park close to where I'm going if I'm going into the city. Yes, exactly. But I have to go to a solicitor tomorrow, so I have to get my daughter-in-law to just drop me and then come back. Any other issues that are on your mind as yeah, we get closer yes, to the election? I, well, I'm hoping that the incoming councillors will make sure that the compliance officers in that city do their job 
because I've been putting in complaints for eight years about someone running a business next to me, spray painting day and night, and um, I've been told that I have to police it by the compliance officers, and I politely told them I wasn't doing their job for them, that it was up to them. My health's been affected by it. I don't know what um, authority the councillors have, but I would hope that they would make sure that the council officers were looking after all the constituents, not just a few. On that note, Aileen, I'd like to thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today on Ipswich Election Watch. And no doubt you'll be considering very seriously right up until Election Day who gets your vote for Mayor and uh, two local councillors for your division. Yes, I certainly will. Ipswich Election Watch. In the next episode, what prompted Council to get involved in the Ipswich CBD redevelopment? A closer look at issues beyond the CBD, and we'll hear from more Ipswich residents. Music on this podcast is courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening. From legendary locals, we all know, to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au.